So glad that y'all are here. Welcome to NOLA Church. It is time for the Word of God. Everybody, let's stand to our feet. We stand for the reading of the Word of God because He is forever alive. Amen? Jesus Christ is the Word of God. I'm going to give you one verse and then you can be seated. Genesis chapter 21. We're going to look at verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord visited Sarah. Everybody say visited. visited. Y'all going to preach with me? Yeah. Let's practice that one more time. Everybody say visited. visited. There you go. Look at your neighbor and go, hmm. That's how you prepare to preach. Hmm. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would. Somebody hear me. If he said it, he's not going to forget about it. Just like he said he would. And we could say, hmm, again on that part too. See, one day I'm going to have a B3 organ on the stage and they're going to work with me while I'm preaching. One day. Not on this stage. I don't know if this stage could hold the B3 organ. But when we get the new theater built, amen? Because as you can tell, we're out of room. We're out of room. How cool is that? We're out of room. The kids have been out of room for like three months. It's time to get started on the, on, the new, on the new theater in Jesus' name. I'm ready for a new space. Amen? You say, where's it going to be? We don't know yet. It's either going to be in here or it's going to be on the other side of the wall. God knows what's up. But just like he said he would, he visited Sarah and did. I like that. He visited Sarah just like he said he would and did for Sarah what he had promised. Hang on to your Bibles, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. You've already visited us today. Your presence is already so thick in the room. But, Lord, we're asking that you would invade our hearts, invade our lives, invade our character, and saturate us with everything that you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Y'all can be seated. So glad that all of you are here today. Let me, before I get into the sermon, first let me say, if this is your first time in the house, welcome home. We have missed you, and we saved a seat just for you. And now that you are here, we're going to ask you to move over because we need room for somebody else that's coming to take the seat next to you. Amen. But we are so glad you're here. I'm going to give a quick shout-out to all of our family in Kenya. Buena Asafiwe. I love you. So glad that you all are there. Miss Lillian. Buena Asafiwe. Asanta Sani, I hear that next Sunday will be our last time getting to worship with you until you come back to visit us. We love you. We will miss you when you go back to Maryland. But know that you will always have family right here. Karibu Nola. Praise God. But our family in Nairobi and Nyandarua County over in Kenya, we love you. Pastor Kevin and Helen and also Pastor John and Mary that are over there just carving out a work for God. We have nine locations in the nation of Kenya, and I'm excited about that. I want to give a shout-out to Ashley in Melbourne, Australia, and all the people that she connects with over there. G'day. We love you, mate. It's awesome. We don't put shrimp on the bobby. We drop them in the deep fryer because that's how we do it down here in the south. Hey. Anybody ready for the stupid bowl? I mean the Super Bowl. How many of y'all shaped your life around football? <laughs> Ain't nobody going to admit that except for Ross. That's his career, though. <laughs> Don't get sucked into silliness. But Ross is chasing Jesus. Amen. So good to see you. 
He's a raging Cajun and God is doing good things. Amen. I am excited about being in the house of God today. Rachel, congratulations. Getting baptized into the name of the Almighty. Yesterday's gone. Behold, a new day has dawned in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right. All the preliminaries are behind us. And it's time to get into the second sermon in calling. Last Sunday, we learned about Abraham's calling. And this Sunday, we are learning about Isaac's calling. And if you want to know what we're doing in this series, over the next few weeks, we are literally preaching through the calling that was on individual men's lives in the Old Testament. These patriarchs of our faith not only was on these individuals, it was also on their families as we are learning a little bit every week. But these men are highlighted by God to teach us some things, not only about how he works in people's lives, but also how our own individual calling is going to be lived out. I hope you were challenged by last Sunday. If you missed it, you can find us on YouTube or at nolachurch.com and you can even catch the recast that happens on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Amen. So last week, Abraham, this week, Isaac. And I kind of jumped into the story with our text before there was an Isaac. Because I wanted to to show you something about the life of Isaac. God had already designated this individual to accomplish a work for him and to set himself up to be a conduit of what God was going to do in the world even before he was ever born. Now, there's no such thing as pre-existing salvation as some religions preach. But you have to understand that God brings things into place. The the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2 that the Lord created us in his mind before he ever spoke anything else into existence. And after we were in the mind of God, he prepared things for us to accomplish. Good things is what the Bible teaches us before creation ever happened. So in the mind of God, he already had a calling for Isaac's life. And in this series, what we're doing is we're literally separating all of the the distinction between passion. Everybody say passion. Passion. Purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose. And calling. There's a difference between passion and purpose. There's a difference between purpose and calling. And unfortunately for, for believers... There, there has been this blending of these words. We have repurposed these words in our, in our English language to make calling and purpose one and the same. But what I want you to do is I want you to learn something over the next few weeks. And then the series that we're going into after this, I'm going to show you how to apply this. But I want you to learn that there's a difference between the purpose in your life and the calling that is on your life. There's a big difference between the two. Because purpose is an activity. Purpose is is a behavior. Purpose is what you do. It's an action. But calling is an identity that can only be realized through the lens of relationship with the one true living God. And what we see here in the story of Isaac, I'm just going to pick up real quick, give you some foundation, and then we're going to hop over to, to chapter 26 and unpack some stuff there. But Abraham is called by God to leave the place of comfort. Let me just real quick go back to last week. You cannot chase calling if you are chasing comfort. Calling is not a place that's comfortable. Calling is going to mess you up. If it doesn't mess you up, that's not calling. 
That's religion. That's pop culture. That's entertainment. That's spiritual cancer, and it's going to kill you. But you need to understand that God is going to reach into your story and he's going to take you by the soul and he's going to pull you into a relationship with him. That pulling, that drawing is the calling. Let me, let me remove some bad thinking. Calling is not a position. It's not a title. It's not, it's not a, a job that you get at the church. I'm chasing my call, so I'm going to go work for the church. Please don't. We can't pay you. <laughs> Rent's too flipping high. I can't afford to put anybody on staff. Taxes keep going up. Then the hurricane happens and everything costs like $47,000 more per month. And not really. I might be exaggerating a little bit. I can't afford to hire you. But that doesn't mean you can't chase your call. In fact, please don't make me hire you because then that's taking you out of the marketplace where the lost live. Calling is a relationship with God. Calling is that place of intimacy with the Almighty where he says, come here to me and let me put some things in you so I can do some things through you. Well, I don't know what to do. Don't worry about what to do. Just get in relationship with him and let him do what only he can do. Amen? Praise God. So Abraham is chasing the call. God says, I want you to leave everything that is in your comfort. And I want you to go to a place that I will designate. Well, where am I going? Where I tell you. Don't worry about it. I got you. Anybody know one of those people that likes to plan ahead? Hey, let's go to lunch tomorrow. Okay, where are we going? Okay, I'll let you know. Where, where are we going? I went, went on a trip to Kenya a couple years back, and Toddles, I love you. Toddles is a planner. Nothing, nothing I am too. Toddles is a planner, and he likes to know the details. Like, before we even got to buying our tickets, I want to know everything that we're going to do. I want to see the full agenda. Like, yo, there's nothing wrong with that. It's comforting sometimes to have that list of things. Um, I need to know when to breathe. I need to know what socks to pack. I need to know how many bags I got to go buy, right? There's comfort in knowing the information. You have to imagine how uncomfortable it is when God says, I want you to move, but I ain't telling you where to move. Right? Like, that would wreck me. Like, God, I don't know what to do. But Abraham, the Bible says, God counted it as righteousness for Abraham that he just went, cool. That ain't me. That's messing with me. I'm like, look, can you at least give a general direction? I want to know how to pack. And he's like, bring a swimsuit, bring a hoodie, bring a parka, and some yoga pants. I don't know why. Like, like just bring it all. It's all going to be there. Like that, by the way, you don't ever want to see me in yoga pants. That's not a good look for anybody. In case you were wondering, stop. It's not good. I don't even own any. In case you were wondering. See, now I got distracted and I have to chase this down to unwind all the mess that I created. But anyway, like God is going to take you to places and he's not going to give you details and righteousness relationship is determined by our response to his drawing. This is what we see in the life of Abraham. And God said, I'm going to do something dynamic through you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And the Bible tells us that after Abram, that was his name, which means prince, which means it's actually a name that looks to the future, but based on the past of his father. Abram is actually tied to his father's name, Terah. And y'all remember, Terah settled in a place of comfort 
in a place of sadness. And the name Abram literally ties the future to what has been in the past. But after this, God changes his name to Abraham, which is literally meaning the father of many nations. God says, forget your past because I've got a future for you. Somebody hear me. God is wanting to change your name. Stop fighting the process. He's got something greater for you. And after this, he, he begins to do things. Hey, I'm going I'm to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, I'm old and my wife is old and like we dusty and crusty and musty. And like, this is probably not going to happen. And you know, like, how does this work? How does this work? Like this can't happen in the natural. I love her, but she's old. And Sarah's like, get away from me, you creepy old man. You know, it's just, it's not working. Y'all stop acting like this is awkward. This is where your mind was already going, so I'm just walking into it. Let's be real. Sometimes what God designates for us does not fit our preconceived notion. How in the world can an old man and an old woman produce a nation? Our lives are almost over. Somebody hear me. God gave you a promise and it hasn't happened yet and you think that time is running out. And he's saying, I'm not governed by time. Time exists inside of me. What is impossible for man is extremely possible for an impossible God. Amen. Come on, let's give an impossible God a hand praise real quick. So here's what happens. Abraham and Sarah are chasing the call, but it's not making sense. And the Bible tells us, I, I want you to spend some time this week studying through, start, start around chapter 18 and start read all the way to chapter 26 in Genesis, and you can see all the details in this. But they start chasing an idea that they conceive on their own. Sarah's like, Abe, I love you, but you old. I'm old. This is probably not going to happen. But I have a solution. How many of us know that sometimes we create solutions for what seems impossible to God? And she created a get around. All right, God's going to do it. And he's speaking to me. I got a private word from God. The Lord spoke to me in the middle of the night. And it's contrary to his word, but he spoke to me. And it's, mm. no, don't, don't, chase, don't chase that. That's not from God. That's bogus bad pizza. That's messing you up spiritually because you're chasing a contrary idea. But Sarah starts chasing this. She goes, I've got a servant that you can use. She's young enough to bear children, and God's promise will be fulfilled through her because this is my idea. This is what I'm feeling. I just got to say this. Stop chasing your feelings. They lie to you. When you feel bad, it doesn't mean you actually are bad. When you feel depressed, it does not mean you're actually depressed. You just feel that way. When you feel anxious, it does not mean you're actually anxious. You just feel that way. But when you lean into the feeling, now the feeling becomes the reality. When you chase feelings, you are getting away from the mind and the plan of God for your life. By the way, don't come to me and say, the Lord is telling me this and I feel this in my spirit. Because here's what I'm going to do. Show me. Don't get offended when I do that. Because if it's not here, I don't want to hear you feeling because we're not going to chase a feeling. We're not hooked on a feeling like some of us old folks remember. Back when music made sense and you could understand the words. Can't understand the words now. I'm, I'm old. Turning 50 this year. I got to listen to old people music. They're, anyway. 
don't be hooked on feeling. But they, they came up with this idea, like Sarah's like, hey, Abe, this is weird, I know, but I'm going to give you this woman to be your wife, and God's promise will happen through this. And Abe's like, cool. <laughs> nice. And a son is born. Things will be produced from the wrong idea that you're chasing, but that doesn't mean God's in it. Right? Y'all hear me? Production is going to happen, but that does not mean that God orchestrated it or even ordained it or even accepted it or will even move through it. And conflict begins to happen because Ishmael, who is Abraham's son, right? He is Abraham's son. Conflict begins to happen because as soon as Ishmael's mother, Hagar, gets pregnant, she looks at Sarah like... You're not worth anything because the promise is coming through me. And community is broken. And it starts getting thick. And God says, this is not the plan. That's not what I told you. In fact, this time next year, I'm coming back to visit you. And when I do, you're going to bear a son. And Sarah laughs. And the ancient manifestation of the Lord in Christ Jesus is standing there in front of me. He goes, why are you laughing, Sarah? And she goes, oh, I didn't laugh. How, how bad is it when you lie to God in his face? <laughs> I didn't laugh. <laughs> Something in my throat. <laughs> he goes, no, you did laugh. But let me show you what I'm going to do through your doubt. This time next year, I'm coming back. And the promise will happen in you. And this is where we pick up in chapter 21. Roughly nine months later, the Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would. Don't give up while you're waiting on the promise. Just because it's not happening the way that you think it should doesn't mean it's not going to. Maybe he's waiting on you to stop chasing your feelings and lean into his reality. He said it would happen. And then he did for Sarah what he promised. And Isaac is born. And it's interesting. Y'all remember when, when she, God, God tells her this and she giggles and acts like she doesn't and that, that she didn't laugh? Now the son is born, and his name is Isaac, which literally means God has made me laugh. So now we skip forward. The promise is fulfilled. It's starting to happen. Abraham is now going to be the father of many nations because it starts with that first fulfilled promise. That's not the ending of it, though. There are many promises to come. Let's fast forward to chapter 26. A lot has happened in the story. In fact... At this point in the story, Abraham and Sarah have both passed on. And Ishmael and Isaac have buried Abraham. And now, we, we really there's a, there's a really quick like culmination of, of, of Ishmael's lineage so people know that God is still going to bless him, but that's not where the promise is coming, right? He's still receiving some favor from God, but the promise is not going to happen through anything that humanity has contrived and blamed it on God. 
God begins to move in Isaac's story, and we, we start to see that Isaac is now starting to have family, and we, we see everything that goes through. There are two nations that are in Rebekah's womb. There's Esau and there's Jacob and these are two nations and this is the promise of God being the promise that he gave Abraham being fulfilled in Isaac and we we move forward and and he's got adult children now he's got adult children he God has begun to bless him and things are happening but you have to understand this at this point in his life Isaac is an older man but he has not been called Just because God's hand is on you doesn't mean he's drawing you until it's time for him to draw you. And don't think that you ever reach the point where you are not available for him simply because of things that have happened in your life. He is not limited by the things that we create as limitations. He's not a man that he should lie. And if he has a designation on you, by the way, if you've received Jesus Christ into your life, the designation has been placed on you and the calling has started, but it's not going to happen until the time has happened. Don't give up in the process. Don't try to recreate God's plan. Don't try to make up something and blame it on God. Don't chase feelings. Don't chase religion. Don't Don't chase pop culture. Lean into who he is and who who you are because of who he is. Isaac could have given up. Isaac had already been, like Abraham was taking him up on the mountain to sacrifice him before God. And Cam, you did a great job last Sunday night at youth unpacking the story of Isaac's sacrifice. It's going to be on the podcast this week, so if you missed it, you can go on the podcast and you can, you can catch it. It's a fantastic sermon, great devo that really ties into where we are right now. But Isaac had already had encounters with God. Isaac had already seen God do some things, but there was not an individual calling in his life yet. But notice that he does not start trying to live someone else's call. Don't look at someone else's story. Don't look at someone else's headlines. Don't look at what's going on in their life and say, that's what I want in my life. There is an individual calling that God has for you, and it is for you and you alone. It's not resting on anyone else in your family. It's not resting on any other individual you've ever met. It's not on me. It's not on anyone who's lived before. It's not on anyone else who's coming after. There is a calling of God that is on your life, and it is designed specifically for you because God wants to be in personal, intimate relationship with you. The problem with religion is we try to make it collective. God's calling is on the church. No, it's not. God's calling is on the individual. The individual is a part of the community that we call church. God is calling you as a person because he created you in his image and he created you in his likeness. He's going to do his work through you. You got to hear me. You're not disqualified because of what you don't know. You're not disqualified because of what you don't have. You're not disqualified because of what you haven't accomplished. Isaac hasn't done anything. He's a middle-aged man with a family and he's just simply trying to exist. And God's waiting on Isaac. 
He's sitting here waiting on him to get to the place where everything else in his story fades away and God can speak to him. Could it be that you haven't realized what God wants to do in your life because there is no need for God in your life because all the needs of your life are met by the cares of your life? Do you need God if the government is meeting all your needs? Do you need God if your mom and dad are covering all of the things that are missing in your life? Do you need healing if every time you get a headache, you take all the drugs that exist? And I'm not against medicine, by the way. I'm not. Hear me. I'm not. Sometimes Jesus made Tylenol for a reason, right? If you're prescribed to medicine, I'm not telling you to get off medicine. Do not leave here and say, Pastor anti. I'm not. In case you're wondering, I'm also not anti-vax. I'm just scared of needles. I don't think you're evil if you're vaccinated. I also don't think you're evil if you're not vaccinated. That's between you and you and your God. You make the decision. Don't let nobody force you into something you ain't ready to do. You heard me. That's what it is. But it, could it be that we don't see the divine miraculous healing take place because we have all these medical companies that we have found our trust in? I'm not telling you to stop taking meds. I'm just saying maybe this is the situation. And this is where we find Isaac. Go to chapter 26. It'll be on the screen. But everybody needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'll get you a Bible. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Let's just look at the next six verses here. There was a famine in the land. Everybody say there was a famine. What's a famine? There's no food. I don't know if you know much about me. I'm a fan of food. You can tell by looking at my svelte shape and my very buff figure that I really, really enjoy working out. <laughs> nope. This is the workout that I enjoy. I was going to try to work out with Tyler one time, but then I looked at his arms like, I can't do that. That's going to hurt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he ain't going to let me have no bacon either. But anyway. There was no food in the land. Everything that they were dependent on was gone. This is the setting where we find Isaac. There was a famine in the land subsequent to the earlier famine that, was, that occurred in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, at Gerar. Why Abimelech? Because... If you read the story, Abraham had already had interaction with Abimelech and God had done some amazing things through his interaction with Abimelech and they were very, very close friends. Isaac went back to a friend of his father's because he knew that God had been there. Notice this, there is something wanting and he goes back to a place that he knows God has already moved. He doesn't start looking for something new. He goes back to the place where God had already met Abraham. There was actually an altar in Gerar that Abraham had built. Isaac returns back to the place of the altar. Somebody hear me. Verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. I want you to stop right there. You see, the plan when things go missing and things begin to lack 
is we start looking for an alternative to the plan that God put in place. Just like his mother Sarah had done. Look, God's not doing it the way I want him to do it, so we're going to devise a plan. Isaac is falling prey to the exact same thinking, just like every one of us in this room, myself included, will do. But I want you to hear something. God is speaking to us through the calling that is in Isaac's life, and he's going to show us something about how to move from this place to the next. This, this okay? Is it okay if we do a little Bible study Sunday school this morning? We got some juice and cookies for you as soon as church is over. And you can take the paper home for your mom and dad to sign. You bring it back next week. You get some Sunday school points. That's not happening. That's what they did when I was a kid. But anyway. Why Egypt? Because at this time in human history, Egypt was the center of the world. It was the center of economic power. It was the center of education. It was the center of construction. Most of the mathematical things that we lean into today that govern every part of our life, engineering and science and school and just life, was developed during the reign and, and, and the control of the Egyptian civilization that was at the time the greatest thing in the world. Culinary arts started in Egypt during this period of time. Thank God for Egypt. Everything about how to govern people is being taught to the world through the Egyptian civilization. But there's also something you have to understand. The Egyptian civilization was not chasing God. They were chasing idolatry. They worshipped at this time about 2,500 different deities. And they worshipped their ancestors. So nothing in their society, even though the society had a lot of benefit for the human race, and while there was a lot of great things that was coming out of Egypt, their foundation was not God. So everything that was produced was very human and had the potential for demonic activity. And Isaac saw the abundance of Egypt. Hear me. Isaac saw the comfort in the Egyptian nation. They weren't struggling in the famine because they had the masses and they had the wealth. They had the ability to produce and store and all these other things. And Isaac said, I'll just go over to Egypt. Somebody hear me. Don't replace God's plan for your life simply because something looks easier. Someone told me some, one time they were chasing an idea that God spoke to me and told me, don't Tell them not to do it. And they said, but this is the easier thing. Therefore, God has to be in it. Y'all, just because it's easy doesn't mean it's blessed by God. Egypt was the logical choice. Egypt, Egypt was the easy choice. He could have slipped into the Egyptian culture and probably amassed a wealth. He could have gone over there and everything in his family would have been met. And it would have been really easy to say, see, God used Egypt to meet my needs. But here's the deal. God doesn't need Egypt to meet your needs. Because God is your source. So God speaks to Isaac and he says, do not go down to Egypt. It's very clear. It's very plain. God doesn't stutter. Don't go to Egypt. Stay in this land. Hear me. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> Like, don't go chasing things that look pretty. It's shiny. But I got something that I'm going to do in you. I've got something I'm going to do through you. 
Don't go there. Stay where you are. I brought you back to the place that I've already proven myself. I brought you back to the altar that your father built in Gerar. Not even a land that I'm blessing. Oh, but by the way, I promised this land to your father. And he built an altar here. Come back to the altar. Stay here. Don't chase ease. Don't chase comfort. Don't chase human idea. Stay here in this land. Then I will be with you. I want God to be with me. Stay where you are. Stay where he's leading you. Because he won't be with you and bless you until you just park it. The Hebrew word that's used here translate best in the English as sojourn. What does that mean? That's a big fancy word. What does sojourn mean? It literally means live temporarily without taking ownership. I'm about to bust this. Y'all ready? Brush yourself. How much of our life is about establishing ownership in a temporary world? And we say, God, bless my pursuit of ownership in a temporary world. I know that I'm not a citizen of this country, but I really, I really want to have ownership in this country. I'm not talking about the nation of the United States or wherever it is that you live. I'm speaking of the country of this world. I'm speaking of the country of this temporal plane. He didn't say, I don't want you to live there. I want you to live there, but I don't want you to get so attached to this world because this is not your final destination. I want you to stay here now. Don't go chasing Egypt. For I will give you all these lands and I will give them to your descendants. But not yet. I want you to settle here. But I don't want you to settle in, in, in the way that we think like, Ugh. No, I want you to sojourn. I want you to live temporarily. I want you to be effective. But don't get so caught up in ownership of this world. Because this is not where I'm calling you. But later, I will give all this to you. You just can't handle it yet. So I've got to do something in you and through you to get you ready. And there's something in Isaac. The Bible doesn't go into great detail here. We don't know Isaac's immediate reaction, but we can see Isaac's response because God continues to speak to him. And this is where we see God's calling in Isaac's life. He says, I'm going to give this land to you and to your descendants, and I will fulfill the solemn promise I made to your father, Abraham. Verse 4, notice this. Here's the call. I will multiply your descendants so that they will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will, there's that promise again, I will give them all these lands and all the nations of the earth will pronounce blessings on one another using the name of your descendants. And go, go right back to what we learned last week. All of this covenant promise between God and Abraham, he is now giving it to Isaac saying, I'm taking the promise I got here and I'm giving it to you because you're responding to what I'm saying. Verse 5, all this will come to pass. Why? Parents, hear me. Hear me. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Moms, dads, do not let your 12-year-old crumb cruncher decide the future. 
That's not their job. They don't get to tell you preference. They're 12. They're 15. They're 18. They're 6. Well, I just got to do things because my children, if you want to do something for your children, you better connect them to the promise that God put in your life. I don't want to go to church. Deal with it. When you make your own decisions, when you make your money, we can have that conversation. But as long as you are in my house, come on, young girls, y'all know what's up. You don't have any choice. I love your mama more than I love you, but I will end you in a half a second if you pop back at me. That's harsh. No, that's parenting. Because you see, I don't want five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road to have to go be bailing my girls out of jail because they don't know how to respect authority. And I don't want them to have to live through the life of shame and guilt because they made a choice because they were chasing their, their physical desires because I did not want to parent them. Abraham parented Isaac. And he taught him, no, we're going to lean on the promise of God. And because Abraham had made the promise of God a priority in his life, God looks at Isaac and says, you have been raised correctly and I can trust you with the promise. It starts with parenting. It starts with development. It starts with a foundation. Let me ask you this, moms, dads, children, Individuals, who is the foundation of your life? What are you chasing? What's the most important thing in your life? All this will come to, come to pass because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And here is the call placed in front of Isaac. Here's the call. You have an option. This is completely up to you. What are you going to do? Verse 6 shows us Isaac's response. So, Isaac settled in Gerar. Isaac settled in Gerar. Why? I don't want you to hear that Isaac went, okay, this is where I'm at. He didn't give up in Gerar. He didn't act like God wasn't still speaking to him in Gerar. He began to sojourn. In Gerar. What, is, what does Gerar mean? In the Bible, cities' names and people's names mean things. God teaches us things through the definition of words and, and what names mean. Gerar literally means this, a lodging place, a temporary shelter. A temporary place to rest. Hear me. I didn't know where God was going to go with this when, when he first started speaking to me on this. But as I leaned in and I started saying, God, where, where do you want us to go? What do you want to speak into me? What does the congregation need to hear in this moment? The first thing that God began to speak to me was this. Don't chase comfort. I've got you in a place, but it's temporary. I've got you here to rest. I'm drawing you, but I need you to be in a position of rest. Let's notice some things 
in this place. First, Abraham had already been here. We talked about this a couple different times. Abraham had already been here and God had already done some things in this place. God's not going to take you to a new place until he confirms his promise in a place he's already been. How did Abraham respond to God moving in Gerar? He built an altar. What is the altar? The altar is the place where you come and offer sacrifice to the Almighty. We don't know much about this altar. The Bible just kind of mentions it and moves on. But here's what we know about believers in this day and age. Here's what we know about people who are chasing the call in this day and age. They would make sure that that altar was preserved. And it's entirely probable that Isaac returns back to his father's friend Abimelech and says, hey, Bimmy, I got to come back. We hungry. You were friends with my father and you saw God do some things because God did some miraculous things in the house of Abimelech. Abimelech knew who God was. And I would be willing to bet that because Abimelech, Abimelech had seen God move, that Abimelech had made sure that that altar wasn't gone, even though Abraham had passed on and moved somewhere else in his sojourning, and he had actually gone on to the next life. I'm almost absolutely positively certain that Abimelech had taken care of this altar. So Isaac walks in and is like, i got to come back here. I, I want to go to Egypt, but I can't. I can't go the pathway of carnality. I can't go what seems right. i got to go back to where my heritage is already established, some foundation. Can I come back here? And he gets there, and the altar is there. The Bible doesn't tell us that this is where the conversation takes place. But what we know about the culture of God and the people that he is talking to, it always happens in a place of sacrifice. Somebody hear me. God has you in a garar right now. A lodging place. A place to rest. Because he doesn't want you doing anything. He just wants you resting as he's drawing you in. We're going to unpack this a little bit more in a few weeks. We've, we've talked a lot about this over the past three or four years, but let, 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 me, let me peel back a layer. Is this okay? Let me peel back a layer for you. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is doing ministry in a man named Simon's house. Simon's son Judas was one of Jesus' disciples. So Jesus had a place to go hang out, and it was a large house, and he could do, he could actually have conversation there. But there were three figures in, in, the, in the New Testament story that are also present in this because they are the, the nephew and the two nieces of Simon. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You've probably, if you've been around church at all, you've heard of these characters. And they're going through the motions of Jesus being in the house, ministering to people, and Martha's doing what Martha does. She's serving, making sure everybody's got the food, because remember, food's a big part of our story, right? Making sure everybody has what they need. She's serving, and it's important to serve. It's important to serve, but it's really easy to get caught up in the serving. It's really easy to get caught up in the activity. It's really easy to get caught up in the purpose. 
What's my purpose in life? In other words, what do I need to do to feel better about myself? And let me just tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. Don't worry about what you do. Worry about who you are. Mary. I'm going to unpack this more later, but Mary was not worthy to do anything but just give some food to some people and then drift off into the nothingness. Because Mary had made some choices in life. Things that happened to Mary in her story that had marginalized her from society. She was not accepted. And her uncle Simon's looking down his nose at her. Her, her cousin Judas is like, why are we even allowing her to be in the room? And the disciples are like, oh, she's creepy because she did things. And the rest of the religious elite are looking down their sanctimonious nose, marginalizing her because she doesn't fit their mold. Her sister Martha is ticked off because she's serving and somebody else isn't serving or they're not serving the way she wanted them to. But where do we find Mary? We find Mary in the circle where Jesus was overflowing absolute God truth because he is the living, breathing, physical expression of the Almighty and he is speaking words of life. And Mary says, I don't care about serving you food. I just want to sit at your feet. Why? If you'll allow me, I don't have any idea what the house looked like. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't have a historical picture of Simon's house, so we, we really don't know. But, but I'll westernize it real quick. Big house, rich dude, big house. Rich people got big houses, right? Rich people got big old houses with big old living rooms. Because rich people with big houses and big living rooms had big parties. They got 12 disciples and Jesus, and he traveled with a posse of about two to 300 people on the regular Simon was an influential person. I'm pretty sure he invited his closest friends. There were several hundred people at this house. The circle was big, but it was reserved for a select few. And Mary says, I don't give him flying rat's toenail. I didn't know where I was going, did you? Mary says, I don't need to serve. Hear me. I don't need to serve. I don't need to go hide somewhere. I don't need to isolate. I don't need to be distant because I've got junk in my life. I want to go to where he's at. And I want to get right here. I can't do it because if I fold my legs, I'm never getting up. So imagine me sitting cross-legged on the floor. Sitting cross-legged on the hood of the floor. <laughs> Filing down my nails with an emery board. Y'all didn't know I could sing country, but there you go. She's sitting there cross-legged, just like looking up into his eyes. Imagine this. I, I, allow me. She's in Garar. She's in a lodging place of rest. Not having to do anything. Not having to be anything. She didn't have the ability she didn't have the reputation. She was so filled with limits. She was so filled with just an inability to accomplish anything. She was worthless in society. But she said, I just want to go to the resting place. 
I want to go to the altar. And Jesus is speaking, and she's hanging on to every word that's coming out of his mouth. Martha says, tell her to stop. Tell her to work. I'm working. She should work. Hey, Martha, your calling is not Mary's calling. Nothing wrong with serving, but don't try to put that on somebody else. That's not their calling. God's drawing them somewhere else. Hear me. Mary found something that was so much more valuable than anything else she could ever say, anything else she could ever do. Mary found an identity just like Isaac did. It would have been very easy for Mary to chase the religious norm, isolate and segregate herself out because she was damaged goods. It would have been very easy for Isaac to chase after the humanic idea of going to Egypt because Egypt has all the wealth in the world. It would have been very easy for that to happen. It would have been very easy for him to say, Abraham tried his thing. I'm going to do my thing. And he probably had talents. But God may or, not, may or may not use your talents for his glory. Depends on how much you're willing to sacrifice your talents for him. Isaac had to come to a place of rest, a lodging place, where he could find an altar. Fast forward to the New Testament, Mary had to find that resting place at the feet of Jesus. Fast forward to today. You're not going to discover your calling in your actions. You're not going to find your calling in your purpose. You're not even going to find your calling in your passions. You will only find your calling in the place of rest. But that's temporary. It's only for here. It's only for now. Because God made a promise. I'm going to do something through you from this place. Don't get attached. I don't want you to leave comfort to get comfortable somewhere else. This makes sense. Pastor, what are you saying? What are you, here's what I'm saying. It's time to leave comfort. It's time to leave religion. Add to religion any other thing that you identify religion with. Theology. Spiritual preference. Denominationalism. Spiritual nationalism. I don't know what that is. If you think God is in your political party, spiritual nationalism, God doesn't care. By the way, don't get too attached to the United States. It's not in biblical prophecy. God will work through this nation as long as this nation is acknowledging God. But when the nation stops acknowledging God and starts chasing politics, God doesn't need the nation anymore. God will work through the denomination as long as the denomination is chasing God. But when the denomination says, no, it's about us, not you, he says, boop, I'm done. God will work in the individual's life as long as the individual is willing to go to the garar, willing, willing to go to the altar, willing to go to the resting place. But when we say, no, it's got to be my way, God says, I can't deal with that. 
Here's what God is doing in this house, in this moment, in this body of people. God is calling us to the resting place. Here's the question I have for you. Who is willing to rest and stop doing? But I'm like the spiritual great white shark. If I stop, I'm going to die. Here's what you don't understand. You're already dead. He wants to give you life and life more abundantly. But you have to stop striving. So here's what I'm going to do. Nobody looking around. Every eye closed. Every head bowed. And this is normally the cue when people say, i got to leave. No, I'll need you to stay. Give me about three more minutes and then you can go. I don't want anybody looking around because this is a moment. Just you and God and other people are going to be in the presence of God making some choices. I wonder if there would be anybody here that would say, God is calling me back to the altar. I wonder if there would be anybody here that would be willing to slip your hand up and say, God is drawing me to a lodging place right here, right now. Hands are going up all over the building. That's awesome. Proud of you. God's seeing every one of them. Leave your hand up real quick. Leave your hand up real quick. God's pulling on you. Here's what you got to get. You can put your hands down. That pulling on you is the call. Don't let anybody over-spiritualize it. Don't let them turn it into a ministry. No, you don't need to go get a bus. No, you don't need to get a website. You don't need business cards declaring you as a self-appointed prophet. No, you don't need any of that mess. The calling is that pull you feel right now saying, come rest at my feet. With no one looking around, I wonder if there would be anybody who would say, I'm willing to take a step of faith and I want to go to that altar. So here's what I want to do. We've designated the front of this stage as an altar. In fact, we've designated this theater as a prayer room 24-7. In fact, we've designated the entire building as a prayer room. So you are at the altar right now. I wonder how many of you would be willing to just get up from the place that you're sitting, not worry about what it looks like, not worry about what anybody says, not worry about what anybody thinks, and just take a step of faith and come down to the front, find a place to pray at this altar. If you want to stand, that's fine. If you want to kneel down, that's fine. But I'm inviting you to come down right now because God is going to do something in this place. And anyone who takes a step of faith, God will beat you in this moment. Come on, get. there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room right here. Come on, come find a place to pray. Just you and God say, I've got to go to that resting place. I've got to go to that place of rest. I've got to go to that place of intimacy where it's not about.